and we're going to take them and turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah today, Isaiah chapter number 6, and we'll dive right into the message today, Isaiah chapter number 6. And uh, we're starting a new sermon series today, My God Is, and you could fill in the blank. We've got the attributes of God today, and going to be doing this over the next several weeks. We look around us today, we look around our world, we look around our nation, we look around our state, we look around our communities, and we're a mess. We're a mess. You turn on the news at night, you don't know what's true and what's not. There's a lot of unease in a lot of people, a lot of people struggling all over the place, people struggling with lots of different things, sound systems making popping noises, even the sound system struggles at times, uh, but the answer is God. Man, we look around and we see so much, we look just in our, just in the United States today. And we look at people. Last night, you have in Portland, you have the, the news reports it as Trump supporters and Black Lives Matters movement people clashing with one another. Someone was shot last night in the middle of it. You look at COVID and everything with it. And our world's a mess. Always been, but it's, to get, it's getting worse. I mean, we're getting closer to the day of the Lord and the day of the Lord's return. And even as that song, even so, it is well, and we need the Lord to come. If you don't know the story behind the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, that we sang, Horatio Spafford, who is a lawyer in Chicago, he's um, lost almost everything in the Chicago fire, the great Chicago fire, but his family was traveling over to England on, by boat, and he was going to come later. And on the way there, something happened with the boat, and all of his children died, and his wife survived alone. He got on a boat to go to be with his wife, and the captain of the boat said, you know, sir, this is about the spot where your children all died. And the thought that rang through his head over and over again was, it is well. And he wrote and penned those words to that great hymn, in the midst of a great tragedy in his life. Because when we're going through it, you better know who God is. Because if you don't know who God is, you're not going to make it through it. Very simply, the reason for this series is there are a lot of Christians that need this right now. We need to be reminded of who God is. And I tell you today, our world changes. Sometimes it seems like daily it changes. Something new. But my God, he never changes. The Bible says, I am the Lord and I change not. New Testament tells us in the book of Hebrews, Jesus said, uh, it said about Jesus, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And praise God that though this world, there are no constants, we have a constant in the Lord today. And we're going to start today with the holiness of God. I do not believe you can go through the attributes of God and not start with his holiness. 
you realize it's the only attribute of God that is repeated three times. You do not find in Scripture that it says, love, love, love. And God is a God of love, and we're going to talk about his love. You don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says, mercy, 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 Lord God Almighty. No. You see, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The holiness of God. We get to Isaiah chapter number 6. We look at Isaiah's life, and there's a problem that's happened. We look at verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And, it's, and above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king. Not King Uzziah. My eyes have seen the king, the king of kings. The Lord of lords is his name. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Father, I pray the next few minutes this morning that you would be pleased. I pray that you would be glorified. We need your help this morning. I am inadequate to preach about your holiness. There's no one in this room or in this world that is worthy to preach on your holiness. So I'm so thankful that you use men today and allow us this privilege. As we look at this passage today, may our lives be changed. May they be different through you and your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Once as an experiment, Isaac Newton stared at an image of the sun reflected in a mirror. Let me just tell you, that's not a wise thing to do. The brightness burned into his retina, and he suffered temporary blindness. And even after he stayed behind closed door for three days, the bright spot wouldn't fade from his vision. In the Old Testament, Moses went up to God and spent time with God and came back down to the people. The Bible says that Moses' face shone bright. The people were fearful. They told Moses he had to wear a mask over his face. Not for a virus, but because his face was so bright. Because he had seen the Lord. So we dive into this series, and I pray for you and I this morning that as we dive in this morning that we would have a similar experience where as we gaze and we fix our eyes on the Lord high and lifted up, that it would never fade from our vision. Now, one of the big problems in Christianity at the moment is this. We have two things. We have problems and we have God. 
How big are your problems today? Big problems, small God. Big God, small problems. I'll repeat that. Big problems, small God. Big God, small problems. How you view God determines your attitude, determines your joy, determines how you get through. We look here this morning, and as we dive in today, I want to give you this quote, and I thought this quote fits perfectly today where we're at. quote says this, I have had a deep conviction for many years that practical holiness and entire self-consecration of God are not sufficiently attended to by modern Christians in this country. Politics or controversy or party spirit or worldliness have eaten out the heart of lively piety in too many of us. I think that fits great today. Do you know that was written in 1879 by J.C. Ryle? We need a proper view of God and His holiness today. As we dive in, as we look at the topic of God's holiness, that doesn't mean that we're holy because we look at the holiness of God. As I prepared this message, and as you'll see later on, the more you see God and how holy He is, the more you see your own flaws and your own failures and where you truly are. See, one of the big problems we have in Christianity is this. We measure ourselves with everyone else. Oh, I'm a better Christian than so-and-so. Or I'm a little bit better than them, but what's, I said we're not supposed to compare ourselves among ourselves among ourselves. Yeah? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, when we want to see, when you ask yourself, how am I doing as a Christian? I'm sure you look around and be like, well, I'm doing better than them and them and them. That's not our standard. Your standard for Christian living is not each other. Hey, your standard for Christian living this morning is not your pastor. And too bad for you, because that wouldn't be a very high standard of living if you could just had to do that. Our standard's him. And when you see him for who he is, it changes everything. We talk about God's holiness. The word holy means to divide or to mark off, to set apart from all else. Our English root for the word holy refers to that which is whole and complete. When we talk about the holiness of God and we talk about God being holy, it's telling us that God is separated or divided from everyone and anything else. There is no one like God this morning. No one comes close to his stature. No one compares to him. Why do you think the Bible tells us that we should have no other gods before him? Because there are no other gods. No one is greater. No one compares to God. He is holy. He is set alone by himself, and nothing comes close. In the book of Exodus, chapter 15, 
After God parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel, Moses asked this question. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? I love how that's a little g there. Because there are, there's one big G. And the rest are all little g's. Who is like thee? Look at this. Glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders. The book of Revelation tells us, chapter 15 and verse number 14, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. A.W. Pink adds this, He only is independently, infinitely, immutably holy. God is is holy. He's set apart. There is no one like him today. As we approach the topic of God's holiness today, let's admit that we don't truly understand God's holiness for what it truly is. A.W. Towser said it like this, we know nothing the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unobtainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he can't even imagine. To help us today focus in on the holiness of God, we've turned to this passage in Isaiah chapter number 6. I want to take several minutes this morning and talk to you about the attribute of God's holiness. You see, we look in this passage, and the first thing that we see is the same year, in the year that King Uzziah died, we see that Isaiah made his way to the temple. Now, when we think about King Uzziah, I would say he was one of the better kings that Judah had. He reigned wisely and well for many years, over four decades. He was able to turn Jerusalem into a fortified city, and he gave the people a sense of security. He was a good leader overall. But may I remind you, good leaders are not perfect. And we see he didn't end very well. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 26.16. But when he was strong, and may I just remind you, when we're strong, the Bible doesn't say that the Lord's strong when we're weak, that's when he's strong, right? But when we are strong, he said, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Uzziah did wrong. He was strong. He was li he lifted up in his own eyes. Pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Pride does not do us well. And I'll tell you this, pride comes when we don't acknowledge the holiness of God. We'll talk more about that here in just a minute. King Uzziah went into the temple and did what only the priest should have been able to do. It was not his place. The Lord gave him leprosy. And do you know, for the last years of his life, he cried out, Unclean! Unclean! 
because he didn't follow God and do things God's way. And he died a leper. So why was Isaiah upset? This was his king. It was a good king. Did a lot of great things for Israel. You know, the next question was, who's going to be the next king? Who's going to be next in charge? You know, we look at our country today, we have an election coming up, and no one knows who's going to win that election. Who's going to be president come January? It leaves some uncertainty because people just don't know. Same way, yes, you might have known that a family lion was going to be king, but you didn't know who was gonna, how it was going to work. Was Uzziah's son going to be a good king? Was he ready for it? A lot of insecurity. Security that Uzziah brought, that was all gone now. And the Bible tells us that in that year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. The best way to understand holiness is by seeing how the holiness of God affects sinful men. And that's what this passage is all about. Meeting with God is never a casual event, and it certainly is not a boring event. I'll give you several points this morning. We'll be done. Number one, as we dive in, we see that he saw the Lord's majesty. Isaiah saw the Lord's majesty. In the context of this, there's an empty throne in Jerusalem. And the first thing Isaiah saw was the Lord's majesty. We read that verse again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. The word Lord here is the title Adonai for the Lord. It refers to his sovereignty as king of kings. You see, Isaiah and Israel, Isaiah lost his king, lost maybe one of his heroes, and in the process, he found the king of kings. To be high and lifted up means there is no one above the Lord. Isaiah is saying it like this, the year that we lost our human king, I saw the real king. There's no reason to panic because God is still on the throne. That's what Isaiah is saying. Hey, yes, we lost our king, but I saw the real king, and he's still in charge. He's still there, and no one's stopping him. And may I remind you today in 2020, and it excites me a little bit. You might get excited over a ball game, and I get excited about those too, but I get excited about the Word of God just as much and more. But may I tell you something today? In the crazy day that we live, God is still on the throne. No one can take him out. He's still there. He's still got everything under control. Christian, it's all going to be okay. It may look to Isaiah in this passage that his life in Jerusalem was going to fall apart, but the sovereign one was still holding everything together. His kingship is infinitely superior to that of Uzziah or anyone else. In the midst of a chaotic time in Isaiah's life, God made a personal appearance. 
We don't know why exactly Isaiah went to the temple. The Bible doesn't give us. I think he wanted to find some comfort, would be my guess. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly. My guess would be he was going there for some consolation because of what had taken place. I don't think he planned for what happened to have happened to him when he got there. Imagine what it must have been like. It's hard to imagine. I've said before that when I get to heaven, I hope there's a great IMAX theater in heaven where we can go and say, all right, I want to see this part of the Bible. I want to see how it was. Isaiah chapter number 6 and the Lord filling the temple is right at the top of my list. The sight that Isaiah beheld that day, can you imagine to see the Lord high and lifted up? To see that his train filled the entire temple. We think about brides and their trains. A while back I did a wedding here. And we always do a practice run of the wedding the day before. And this platform, you got these steps and then you got this. Because of adding the side room when we did, we moved the pulpit forward and we have this big square right here. And this big square is not great for weddings. You got to walk up and everything. So I asked the bride, I'm like, how, how long is your train? Oh, it's a short one. I know, I learned that time I need to say how short, so I know how long. She started walking in the back door that Saturday, and she was almost to this front row right here, and the train barely got through the back door. If that's short, I don't know what long is. Because then you got to remember, you got to come, and then up here, you got to walk up here, and then you got to come here. She was up here, and her train was still halfway down the aisle. I mean, that's crazy, but that was her train. Princess Diana, her train was 25 feet long. There was one, uh, there was a bride from Romania that had a train 1.85 miles long, almost two miles long. That's the world record for a train. May I just tell you something? The Lord's train filled the temple. Think about this with me for a minute here. Back then, the length of one's train was an indication of status and importance. And the Lord filled the temple. Not only did he see the Lord high and lifted up in his glory filling the place. Verse number 2 tells us, Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. The seraphim are mentioned only in this passage. And they're not sweet, cute, little, chubby little babies with wings. That's, not, that's what some people think. They're a group of angels is to get attention to the holiness of God. The word seraph means to burn. They covered their faces because they're in the presence of holiness covered their feet, showed their humility, and flying indicates their ongoing obedience to go wherever God sends them. But you know, the most incredible thing was not these seraphim and their wings and covering their faces or their feet are flying around. That was not the amazing thing. It was what they had to say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. 
know they're still up there saying that. Still saying it. Holy, holy. When we want to emphasize something, we in English, maybe you capitalize, bold it, put exclamation points at the end. You send a text and you want someone to pick up on words, you make it all caps. I don't know, you do lots of different things. And that's how we make emphasis. One of the things that the Jews would do, Jewish people use repetition to emphasize something. So to say something three times was of the highest priority. And so when the angels said, holy, 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 they were emphasizing the breathtaking splendor of God's holiness. As I mentioned, it's the only attribute of God that's mentioned three times, back to back to back. Reminds me of when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. He taught them the model prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means holy. The last phrase of verse number three says, the whole earth is full of his glory. The word glory refers to his weightiness. How can he be high and lifted up and yet still fill the earth with his glory? Theologians refer to that as his transcendence. He's separate from us, and yet he's here with us. He's to be feared, and yet he's our friend. He's powerful, and yet personal. That's our God. Verse number four tells us, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. The whole temple began to tremble in the presence of God. It's like an erupting volcano. Smoke indicates that he is the purifying presence of God. Pretty powerful stuff. Now I hear people say, wait till I've heard someone, I've been at their door, or I've talked to them about salvation. I'm like, wait till I see God and what I have to say to him not going to quite be like that when you see God. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess. Every knee will be bowing down. You won't be giving him a piece of your mind. You'll be shutting up and kneeling down in the awesome splendor of his majesty. We see that Isaiah, he saw the Lord's majesty. And what a sight. How did Isaiah respond to that? I deserve to be here. This is right where I should be. This is awesome, and I deserve this. After all that's been going on with the king dying, I should be right here in the midst of God's holiness. That's not his attitude. He sees the Lord for who he is. He sees his holiness. What is Isaiah's response? We see number two this morning. He confessed his own misery. Look at verse number five. Then said I, as he saw this, then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips, 
and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of Israel. Mine eyes have seen the King. After he saw the Lord in his majesty, he confessed his own misery. As he saw the Lord for who he was, like, woe is me. And Christian, may I just help you out today? The closer you get to God and the more you see God for who he is, the more you're going to see who you're not. You might look and say, hey, I'm doing pretty good today in my Christian walk. And then you go stand and you get before God and you're like, I've got a lot of work to do. First thing Isaiah does after he sees the Lord, he starts crying out, woe is me. Now, prophets used woe, the word that they used, but it was a word about coming judgment or a declaration of Jesus used woe for the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 24, talking about the end times. It's telling that Isaiah, and it's interesting, Isaiah doesn't say here, woe is everyone else. Woe is you. People, no, no, woe is me. For I've seen the king. He uses a phrase, he says, I'm undone, undone. It means to be annihilated or destroyed. Isaiah was devastated by the holiness of God that was causing him to fall apart. Say, well, God's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of all these things. Yes, and he's a God of judgment and justice. And as we're talking about today, he's a God of holiness. And so Isaiah, Isaiah sees the Lord for who he is. Instead of it being a blessing and all great, whoa, I have no right to be here. I'm unclean. This is not the place for me to be. A lot of us would think, well, that shouldn't be our response when we get to the Lord, surely. But that should be our response. I'm unclean. He saw the Lord for who he was, and he saw himself for who he was. And isn't it interesting, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. It's interesting that he called himself unclean in light of how King Uzziah ended his days as a leopard unclean. The prophet was supposed to be the one who was the mouthpiece for God. And he realized he wasn't right. No one can stand in the presence of God without becoming profoundly and devastatingly aware of our own wretched sinfulness. The songs sing about amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a great person just like me. That's not quite. That saved a wretch like me. You see, when you see God for who he is, you see yourself for who you are. And Christian, may I just implore you today, one of our biggest problems today is the fact that we don't see God for who he is. And so we don't see our need to get right. 
Christians would get to the temple and see God for who he is, things could change. That's where it's got to begin. We need to see the Lord high and lifted up. You know, what was Isaiah's goal in getting to the temple? We don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. But when he got there, he saw the Lord for who he was. And all of a sudden, it didn't matter what happened to Uzziah, did it? Was that still a big deal? Yeah, it was still a big deal, but the problems became small when God became big. Big problems, small God. Big God, small problems. We see number one today as we look here. We see that he saw the Lord's majesty. Number two, he confessed his own misery. Number three, he received the Lord's mercy. Isn't that interesting? Look at verse number six. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Isaiah sees God for who he is, and then we see that Isaiah's like, Whoa, he's devastated. I don't belong here. But God doesn't leave Isaiah in his devastation. This is how God works. God does something about it. This hot coal was taken from the altar. The altars where the sacrifices were offered. And this foreshadows the foresight of the deliverance that the final sacrifice the Lamb of God made as he laid down his life for us. Think about this with me. Isaiah heard the praises of the seraphim. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And they would keep saying it and keep saying it and keep going on. The foundation of the temple shook hearing them say that about the Lord. But what did God hear? He heard the faint, small cry of a miserable man. And God hears Isaiah and he sends one of the seraphim with a message directly for Isaiah. Reminds me of Psalm chapter number 51, verse 17. The Bible says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Our lips are sensitive and tender, and it is to be that very part of the body that the angel placed the hot coal and sears the flesh. You can almost hear in your mind the sizzle and the burn, maybe along with a little muffled scream from Isaiah. But that's what salvation is. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. It cost Christ everything so that we could have salvation. But isn't that just how the Lord works? You cannot be in the presence of God without going through the mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Because he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, and no man or woman cometh unto the Father but through Isaiah is there, and he sees the Lord. He's like, whoa, I'm a, I shouldn't be here. And God says, hey, let me, guys, go, go take him that. 
I have a sacrifice paid for your blood. I'm going to give you some mercy. That's exactly what the Lord did with Jesus there. We see in this passage of Scripture, we see several things. We see he saw the Lord's majesty. We see he confessed his own misery. He received the Lord's mercy. And then, number four, he accepted the Lord's mission. Look at verse number eight. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. He, was, he saw his own misery and he received mercy. And we see now he accepts the Lord's mission that he has for him. And in, an, in ancient Eastern religions, only divine beings were sent as messengers of the gods. But the God of the Bible uses human messengers to give his message. In accepting the Lord's mission, Isaiah is first sensitive to the voice of God. Do you see how it says there, I heard the voice of the Lord? Up to this point, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He heard the song of the seraphims. He felt the burning coal upon his lips. And now for the first time, he heard the voice of God. Suddenly the angels were silent. The voices that boomed through the temple echoed with a piercing question from God. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Do you notice it says us? That's not referring to God and the angels there. It's plural. The Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the three in one. Who shall go for us is an Old Testament truth about the Trinity, is what we see before our eyes. And after being sensitive to the voice of God, we see that Isaiah says, Lord, here I am. I'll go. And one of the things you don't see the Lord say here, hey, Isaiah, I want you to go to Hawaii and be a missionary for me and share with all the people there about the good news. He doesn't give Isaiah a location. Hey, who's going to go for us? Hey, Lord, here am I. Send me. <laughs> you know a big problem today in Christianity? There are not many. Here am I, Lord. I'll do whatever you want. Hey, you want me to go to church right now? I'll go. I don't care what the governor says. I know what your book says. I'll go. You know what the problem is? You haven't seen the Lord high and lifted up in a while. You know what's wrong with a lot of pastors today? They haven't seen the king high and lifted up. Because when you see the king high and lifted up, and you realize you got a lot of work to do, and you realize all that the Lord's done so that you can see him high and lifted up, you're willing to say, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll tell anybody you want me to tell. I'll follow you. You have my everything. Problem is, most Christians, 
don't see them high and lifted up. That's why they're not willing to do anything. Not willing to read their Bible each day. Not willing to pray. Not willing to go to church. Not willing to witness. Not willing to give. And I could go on for a long time. Problem is we haven't seen the Lord high and lifted up in a while. See, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, I shouldn't be here. And God says, no, you shouldn't, but I've made a way so you can be. And now that, now that you're good, in my eyes, who's going to go? Who's going to share? Who's going to tell others? Lord, Man, I lost my king. I feel like the world's falling apart around me. I came to get some comfort. And I saw you for who you truly are. And realized I shouldn't be here. But you gave me mercy. How could I not serve you? How could I not listen? Lord, I'll do anything all to Jesus. All to him I freely give. You know, God's still looking for people today who are moved by his majesty. For those who've experienced his mercy in light of their misery. And that are ready to join in his mission. And we see lastly this morning, he was to go and speak the Lord's message. Look at verse number nine. It says, and he said, Go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly destroyed, and the Lord have... Remove men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a tenth. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be substance thereof. First part of verse number nine there says, go and say to this people. God's eager to have us go. God's eager to send Isaiah to his mission field. And may I remind you today, we were given a command very similar to this in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Do you know there were a lot of those people in Isaiah's day, they weren't going to understand at all? They weren't. He was going to preach things. He was going to prophesy things. And a lot of what he said, they weren't going to receive it with gladness. But he was supposed to go and give the message. Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6 and John chapter number 12. And Jesus quotes this exact passage to explain why men didn't believe in him. Because the proud will harden their heart. D.L. Moody said this, he said, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. 
And that which I can do by the grace of God, I will do. God used D.L. Moody in a great way. God is looking for people who are available. While Isaiah's message wasn't received well, his message was filled with prophecies about the coming Messiah. The very next chapter, chapter 7 of Isaiah, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. The old a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jews still can't figure this one out. Isaiah 53 They can't figure out that this passage was written about Jesus. But he was wounded, Jesus, he was wounded for our transgressions. You talk to a Jewish rabbi, and they say that this passage was written about Israel, that he in here is Israel, and all the things they went through. No, 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 no. It's very clearly Jesus, but they missed it. He was wounded, and they're still missing it, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isn't it amazing that Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he saw Jesus himself. So what do you mean? John chapter 12, verse 41. These things said Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spake, of him. Things changed. You know, Isaiah that day, I don't think he's planning on his life changing the way it did. That was a turning point for Isaiah. In the day that, in the year that Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and it changed his life. And so, church, today we must start with our gaze upward and see the majesty of God. Only, only when you see God for who he is can we see ourselves for who we truly are. And once we admit who we truly are and accept his mercy, we can then move outwardly by living on a mission as ambassadors of his message. I love this. This guy said it way better than I could. This guy, Chip Ingram, was his name. An upward, accurate view of God, high and holy, leads to an inward, accurate view of yourself as fallen short and desperately needing God's forgiveness, which in turn leads to an outward view of your life being about God's agenda instead of yours, and your life being about the needs of others, other people, instead of you and your little world. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, New Testament, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. I don't ever give in my messages a bunch of head knowledge and leave without an application. Application is very important because head knowledge, being a hearer of the word and not a doer, we talked about that last Sunday night. 
My question for you this morning is very simply. How should the knowledge that God is holy change the way I live? Let me ask you that question one more time. How should the knowledge that God is holy change the way you live? See, Isaiah changed his life. Saw the Lord high and lifted up. He realized he had some work to do. The Lord helped him and said, Lord, I'm willing to do anything you want. You know what we need in Christianity in 2020? We need some Christians that will go to the temple and see the Lord for who he truly is. And when you see the Lord for who he truly is, it's not going to be the most comfortable thing. You say, oh, it's comfortable, it's comfortable to be in the presence. It's a fearful thing. You've got to understand. You've got to put things in context. You've got to look. Yes, God's a God of love, and he will always, and praise God for his love. But when you come before God, you realize there's stuff you've got to work on. He's the standard, and we fall short, and fall short, and fall short. And aren't you glad that for salvation, he doesn't look at how I fall short? He looks at his son and his standard. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. My name would get written, would be crossed out of the book of life every other minute if it was based on me and what I do. But it's not based on me. It's based on Jesus Christ and his standard. But church, we need to see him for who he is, and we need to get right. I know 2 Chronicles 7.14 was not written to America. It was written to Israel. But there's a great promise that if God's people, well, what will you do? Humble yourselves, seek God's face, and turn from your wicked ways. Then I'll hear. Now, isn't it interesting? You say, well, that was just for Israel. Okay, well, let's look at Isaiah for a second. This is an individual. He saw the Lord. He sought the Lord. He went to the temple. The Lord showed him what he needed to fix. The Lord helped him. And the Lord used him. I think you can see some comparisons between the two. When you get close to God and you see God for who he is, it's going to help you clean up your life. I'm not going to park here long because, well, it's already 11.15. I should be done. And I will be here in just a moment.